And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today, rocking and rolling through the week and uh, diving into explaining and defending the faith with clarity, charity, and confidence. And, uh, yeah, got a high-energy uh, Wednesday in store for us because we're going to have our good friend Brian Mercier join us on the other side of the break as you know, Brian uh, has been doing all sorts of great job on social media, YouTube, and so on, sharing, defending the Catholic faith. And we're going to talk about once saved, always saved. And uh, he's going to get, we're going to get his take on uh, this Protestant understanding, whether it's biblical or not. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun because Brian, like I said, it's a very high energy kind of guy and uh, very knowledgeable. He's been working in the trenches. He's like John Martinoni uh, and myself, you know, just uh, doing lots of work in the trenches, talking to people. And uh, so it, I love his apologetics because it really does um, connect, I think, with, with other people. And of course, this is a, such an important doctrine for some Protestants, not all. Uh, this belief that once you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are assured of salvation no matter what. And there's many different variants of that uh, particular belief. Um, but nevertheless, it is held by, a lot by people and often by people who are anti-Catholic. So it's something that all of us Catholic apologists ought to know. So that's going to be coming up on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, we're going to do our Finding the Fallacy, where we look at informal fallacy every episode. And today's Finding the Fallacy is the single cause fallacy. And we also meet an early church father. Today's early church father is Rufinus. So got great stuff in store for us today. So I want to welcome all of you to the show, beginning with our live stream audience. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the dojo. Also, I want to welcome all of you listening on radio around the country and via podcast around the world. And it's great to have you on board, folks, because, uh, you know, it's just nice to know that uh, this information is out there and it's being downloaded by Catholics and being used in the field. So uh, thank you very much. I'm honored that you are listening to the show. And by the way, if uh, you'd like to get a hold of me, you can always give me a call at 8885. Or excuse me, you can not give me a call. You can send your questions through email. That would be even better. Uh, give me, uh, you can shoot it through questions at handsonapologetics.com, which is the official dojo mailbox. And I, I do enjoy getting your emails. And by the way, that is the best way to get a hold of me. There are other you know, uh, avenues that are out there on the web. And sometimes I get your stuff, sometimes I don't. Uh, the best way to get a direct response is through questions at handsonapologetics.com. And I, I thank you in advance for writing to me. Let me know if you know any great uh, apologists out there doing great work out in the field, or maybe an apologetic work that has been uh, very impactful in your life that you'd like others to know about. Let me know. I'll see what I can do. Um, 
And that's the way to do it is through the Dojo Mailbox Questions at HandsOnApologetics.com. Let's uh, go to the Finding the Fallacy. Today's Finding the Fallacy is the single cause fallacy. Very important fallacy to be aware of. The fallacy of the single cause is also known as the complex cause, causal oversimplification, causal reductionism, and reduction fallacy. It's an informal fallacy of questionable cause that occurs when it's assumed that there is a single simple cause of an outcome when in reality it may have been caused by a number of only jointly sufficient causes. This is very, very important, and it's uh, this is uh, used over and over again. Basically, uh, when somebody appeals to some event or some action and then singles out a single cause for it, now, uh, I think the best example of this is done in atheistic apologetics where they will point to, say, violence in India, and they will say, see, this, this is proof that religion causes violence. But, you know, the, the events in that particular case, yeah, religion may have been a factor or a cause, but there are often a number of other causes at work as well such as, you know, political, it could be financial, it could be personal, it could be all sorts of things besides religion. And so to kind of single out that one cause as if it's the only cause of violence, the atheists try to tar and feather religion uh, by the single cause fallacy. And so you have to be very careful about that. It's also single cause fallacy is also the stuff in which conspiracy theories are made in which you will have a series of things and you will pull out just one cause among many. And you can stitch together any narrative you want just by pulling out a single cause from multitude. So the single cause fallacy can uh, do things like that. In fact, you know, this gives me an opportunity to give a shameless plug for my brand new book, uh, Revolt Against Reality, uh, Fighting the Foes of Sanity and Truth, From the Serpent to the State by Catholic Answers Press, shop.catholic.com. Anyway, when I was stitching together the, the deep causes of the insanity that we live in today, I was very much aware of the single cause problem because I didn't want to come up with uh, some sort of concoction of a giant conspiracy theory. I wanted to actually see um, uh, trace the causes back to their beginnings. But how do you do that when there's multiple causes? Well, what I did was I worked backwards. And so the causes that I do pull out and highlight um, are the causes that are the most persistent throughout history. And so I was able to kneel down uh, strings of causes in history without denying the fact that other causes were at work as well. And I I think that's a very effective way to, uh, if you want to single out a particular cause and connect one or many things together, you ought to do it anachronistically. And at least you can point out, not that it's the only cause, but it's the most persistent cause. And uh, I think that's a much better way to avoid the fallacy, which is today the single cause fallacy. All right. Now let's go to meet our early church father for today, who is Rufinus. Rufinus, by the way, this is uh, he's quite a figure, very interesting figure indeed in church history. Uh, Rufinus, generally known as Rufinus of Aquilina, uh, was born about the year 345 A.D. in the north Italian village of Concordia, just a few miles west of Aquilia. 
Uh, he died shortly after Elric's sack of Rome in 410 and was buried in Sicily. As a youth in Rome, he was the fellow student of Jerome, uh, who had come there from Striden in Dalmatia. And uh, they began uh, a very, very close friendship. In fact, uh, Jerome deeply loved him as a friend. And it was to, and it was precisely uh, this uh, warm friendship that made the breakup of the friendship so shocking in the ancient world. Uh, it was to end in such shockingly vertiptitude uh, that it saddened and scandalized the whole Christian world, according to Jurgen's faith of the earliest fathers, which we use for these segments. Upon hearing that Rufinus was coming from over the sea and was on his way to the holy places, Jerome had written, uh, quote, Never did a sailor tempest toss, so look for harbor, nor did the parched field so thirst for rain. Never did a mother in her curving ashore keep so anxious a watch for her son. There is no way of buying love, friendship that can then uh, was never true. And um, such were the words of Jerome while he was friends with Rufinus. <laughs> but the, the friendship did end, as Jurgen says. And it ended with a loud bang, so loud that Augustine shuddered and warned Jerome that if he continued his attacks on Rufinus, never again could any man have a friend in whom he, he would not dread such a future foe. In a quarrel, uh, Jerome knew no moderation, not only did he not cease from his attacks, he carried it on beyond the grave. Rufinus was dead, and Jerome knew him uh, knew it when he said of him, Cato without Nero within. And Rufinus was scarcely cold in the grave when Jerome, who had once loved him hysterically, uh, showed that his hatred was no less hysterical when he wrote, quote, the, the scorpion now lies buried in Sicilian soil, between uh, Euclidius and Porphyrian, and many-headed Hydra has at last ceased from hissing against me. So an opportunity vouchsafed me the expounding of the Bible instead of having to counter the vicious attacks of heretics. Uh, the cause of their quarrel was uh, not now so important as the, the quarrel itself. Both had uh, been accused being accused of originist. Origen set out to, excuse me, Jerome set out to prove that Origen was a heretic and that he himself was not. His te technique was to translate Origen in such a way as to emphasize and magnify anything suspect. Rufinus, on, at the same time, made no denial, and he began to publish translations of Origen in an attempt to prove him orthodox glossing over as much as possible anything suspect and rendering all in the best light possible. We are indebted to both for preserving a large part of the little remains of Origen's works, but at the same time keeping in mind the techniques they employed in translating and the purposes that they had in mind in publishing their translations, it is often difficult to decide just what Origen did say. And uh, that is our early church father for today, Rufinus. Coming up next, we're chatting with Brian Mercier. We'll talk about once saved, always saved. Stay tuned.
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. And as you know, uh, we dive into Catholic Protestant apologetics. And, and one issue, of course, is salvation, salvation by faith alone, and also this belief that once saved, always saved. And to help us dive into all of that, we have our good friend, Master Apologist Brian Mercier with us. Brian is a professional Catholic speaker, a retreat leader, an author, Catholic apologist. He has spoken in countless teen and adults over uh, the last 20 years through confirmation retreats, parish missions, and so on. He's appeared on radio, television, and he has a fantastic ministry on YouTube, which we'll talk about a little bit at the end of the segment. So, Brian Mercier, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Thank you very much. Always glad to be here. Yeah, it's always great to have you on the show, Brian, because uh, one thing I love about you and, and John Martinoni and others is uh, your experience is in the trenches. I mean, you have uh, you weren't just a book apologist. You have been uh, rubbing elbows with people on the streets and different religions. In fact, I think you said you became an apologist by talking with Jehovah Witnesses, wasn't it? Yes, it was, in part. Um, it started with Jehovah's Witnesses, but around that same time, I also had evangelicals and uh, fundamentalist Protestants, and they were all taking turns beating my head in, and I didn't know how to explain my faith. I needed your dojo at the time. Uh, <laughs> so I had to learn it the hard way, and I had to learn it myself over a few years. Yeah, well, you know, God's providence is like that, because I think that makes your apologetics rich and practical, you know? Because you've worked with it, you've used it in the field, and so you know what works and what doesn't work. Exactly. And I've been, like I said, I had my head beat in many times, so I had to try an argument. If it didn't work, I had to go look it up again, get a better argument, bring it back. If that worked, okay, I'll use that again next time. And if it works again, I'll keep using it. And if not, I have to go, you know, keep polishing my arguments, keep trying again. And I think this is one thing that Catholics struggle with is they don't even want to start trying for fear of, fear of failure. You know, they fear, oh, well, I'm not going to do well, or I don't know enough or something like that. And the reality is that you're never going to know enough. You're never going to have it all straight. But if you don't start somewhere, you're never going to get to a place of competency. And it took me about six months of having these discussions, but eventually I got to a place of competency. And eventually they were running away from me and going back and looking up <laughs> questions I had for them. And and after a year or two of that, I was visiting their churches and evangelizing pastors and, you know, going to the Jehovah's Witness uh, Kingdom Halls. I was going to say church. They're not a church. Uh, they're Kingdom Halls. And, you know, I was evangelizing them. So, you know, that's kind of the journey that God's brought me on. And now I try to help as many Catholics as possible so they don't have to be as awkward as I was uh, when I was in those situations. Yeah. Isn't it ironic when you don't have the answers? Everybody wants to talk to you. But once you start learning the faith, <laughs> then all of a sudden you're alone, like no one comes over. Yeah, or the famous one where, oh, the Catholic Church is wrong, the Catholic Church is evil, oh, the Catholic Church did this and this. And then as soon as, they'll go on for 10, 15 minutes about how bad the Church is, how God doesn't exist. And as soon as you bring up one argument, they're like, oh, I don't want to talk about religion. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, you you were the one who brought it up. I had to listen to you. Now you're going to listen to me. And then you can bow out if you want. Yeah, so if you don't want people to be... Uh Picking at your faith, the best thing to do is become an apologist. Right. <laughs> then, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know how many times Jehovah Witnesses would look at their watches and say, oh, you know, we got an appointment. We got to get running. Uh, yeah, that, that's funny. And you know, not only Jehovah Witnesses, but, of course, Protestants. And there's so many different views on it that when you're talking to a Protestant, it's almost like uh, you have to learn what they believe first. You don't just assume that uh, if they belong to a particular denomination or a church, that they um, that they believe exactly the same thing. Isn't that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people have been telling me recently that, you know, the Catholic Church isn't true. Protestantism is correct. And I say, really? Which Protestantism? The Calvins or the Lutherans? Presbyterians yeah. or Baptists or Pentecostals or the Church of God? I mean, they all claim to be correct, and they yet they all disagree with each other, even on basic theology sometimes, on like, what does the word justification mean? What does the word faith mean? I mean, down to the very basic level, are we baptized or are we not? Infant baptism or no? Once saved, always saved or not? I mean, Protestants disagree on the basics as much as they like to claim they agree on the basics. And so you really have to find out what they believe, because sometimes they get offended when I make videos on our Catholic Truth YouTube channel, and I'll say, Protestants believe this. And they'll say, we do not believe that. I'm like, that's true. Not all Protestants do, but a lot of them do. And we hear these arguments all the time, whereas other Protestants will say, those are not real Protestant arguments. You've made those up. We've never heard that in our life. And I'm like, well, we hear them every day at Catholic Truth. And so (laughs) we're just bringing up what we hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's so frustrating. Because you know, no matter what you say, there somebody out there is going to say that's not Protestantism. Well, right. You know, it ultimately comes down to their own view, and even on issues like you said that are so fundamental, especially salvation. And and you mentioned uh, once saved, always saved. Now, of yeah. course, not every Protestant believes that, but a lot of the people, usually the ones that are anti-Catholic, do. Yeah, and even. To go along with that, faith alone. All Protestants believe in faith alone, but they can't agree on what that means. I mean, some Protestants believe that works are meaningless. Some some believe you have to have works, but they don't do anything. Others believe you don't have to do works at all. In fact, I'm about to do a video uh, based on a Protestant t-shirt that I saw, and it said in big letters, I am righteous. And then all around the shirt, it says, even if I sleep around with people, even if I get drunk, even if I do this, even if I do that, I'm righteous. I'm like, oh boy, where do we even begin? So, you know, Some don't even believe you have to do a single work to go alongside faith. They don't believe you have to do anything. You just, supposedly it's an intellectual ascent. But like you said, there's just so many different beliefs on on how to be saved. And in fact, I got into a discussion with a man recently, and I said, um, we're actually setting up a formal debate together. And uh, he was telling me that, you know, once you're saved, you're saved. So why don't you Catholics believe that you're saved when the Bible says you're saved? Once and for all. And I said, not even all Protestants believe that. So how are you going to think that you're right when not even all of your Protestant brothers and sisters agree with you? Yeah, right. It's not a uh, once saved, always saved isn't a Catholic Protestant issue. It really is a Catholic and Protestant Protestant issue. <laughs> because Protestant, there's a lot of Protestants that don't believe that and are against it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, okay, as Catholic apologists, uh, okay, what should we do? Where do we go? Oh, well, yeah, if you want to talk about like what they believe, 
um, you know, say, hey, what do you believe by faith alone? You know, always ask that question first, or what do you mean by being saved? You know, and so, for example, a lot of times they'll bring you to 1 John 5, 13, and this is what this gentleman did. He says, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you will be saved. He's like, the Bible cannot be clearer. He's like, the Bible says you are saved. So he's like, when you do all the etymology and everything else, saved means saved. And I said, it's not that simple. In fact, Father William Most, who a lot of people know, he has great articles. He did a lot of apologetics. Um, he has a great book on the Bible. He said there's actually three definitions of the word saved in the Bible. In other words, it has three different meanings, you know, being saved from sin, being saved from tragedy. I mean, there's a lot of different saved in the Bible, but one of those also means eschatological saved, meaning you're saved forever, you're going to heaven. Now, Protestants have removed all of the other meanings just because they see the word saved, and they have their Protestant tradition that they're trying to fit into the Bible, and they think that it's all an eschatological sense, where if they just see the word saved, it means I'm automatically going to heaven, which is why I ask Protestants, where does it actually say that in the Bible? It says you're saved. So I'll say saved from what? What are you saved from? And where does it say that you're automatically going to heaven? Show me those words in the Bible. Show me where it even hints at the fact that you're just going to automatically go to heaven once you're saved. Sure, maybe, I guess, if you ignore the rest of the entire New Testament, it's possible. But that's what I told this man. I was like, the only reason you can hold that is because you're ignoring tons of different passages, like Matthew 7, 21, where it says you must do the will of God in order to get to heaven. Luke 6, 46, if you don't do the will of God, you will not be saved. Uh, 1 John. 2, 3 through 4, where it says, if you don't follow the commandments and think you follow God, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And so I started going down these passages one by one. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism saves you. Acts 2, 38 uh, says that repentance and baptism are necessary for salvation. So I said, yeah, if you ignore all the other things in the Bible, then I suppose that one verse can prove what you want it to prove. But I said, we have to talk about all those other verses because there's a lot more than just the one you're quoting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a, a very important distinction. When you see sa the word saved, there's a difference be uh, between being saved from something, perhaps being saved from sin, be uh, a non-Christian becoming Christian. But then, like you said, there's also this eschatological or end time aspect of being saved, meaning going to heaven. And so uh, first thing you need to question is, OK, where's that link where you say, you know, that this person saved? That means they're invariably going to go to heaven. And then the other right. thing that you point out is, what do you do with all the other verses in the Bible? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's so much that uh, speaks against uh, that thing. Um, so, so obviously, if you're going by the number of scriptures, uh, there are so many things that speak against one saved, always saved. Um, so, what was the response? Well, that's when he wanted to set up a debate and, okay. you know, so, talk about yeah. this on a deeper level. But, Got you know, it. what most people do and what he started to do is say, hey, well, there's other verses more than just this one. I mean, you know, if you look at uh, Ephesians 2, for example, verses 8 and 9, it'll say, you know, that if you come to Christ, you know, without works, if you believe in Jesus, without works, faith without works, 
then you we saved. And it talks about that kind of saving. But clearly, this is different than, say, Matthew 24, where they're going through trials and tribulations and end times. And Jesus says, if you persevere to the end, you will be saved. In other words, you'll earn the crown of heaven. Whereas Ephesians 2 is just talking about people who are first coming to Christ. And if they come to Christ, not of their own works, not of anything they've done, you know, nothing they've earned— but if they trust in Christ, he will save them from their sins, he will save them from their past, and he will make them children of God. That's true. But that's the initial justification process. It never says you're just going to automatically go straight to heaven. And in fact, verse 10, which Protestants love to leave out, says that you must do good works, which God has commanded you to walk in. So works are always part of the Christian life, and you can't just have faith alone. And I think those two doctrines go together, faith alone and being saved. If you just believe in Christ, then you're saved. That's all you have to do. And I just believe, just believe. So I say, oh, really, what about Mark 16, 16? It says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Oh, well, don't force your your Catholic theology on me. I mean, the Pope was a murderer back in the day. And oh, I'm just going to change the topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what else can they do, though? I mean, it's either that or you get an eraser and just erase all that stuff out of the Bible that doesn't fit yeah. in the those primary texts. So I uh, hear the music coming up, Brian. I guess this is a good place to hit pause. We are chatting with Brian Mercier, uh, the purveyor of the Catholic Truth Channel on YouTube. Check it out. He's got lots of great videos. We're talking about uh, once saved, always saved. More to come on the other side of the break. You're listening to Hands On Apologetics. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We are chatting with Master Apologist Brian Mercer, talking about once saved, always saved. And uh, by the way, check out his stuff. He's got so much great stuff uh, at uh, Catholic Truth Channel on YouTube. And yeah, really good points, Brian, because uh, those are things that people who get hooked into this once saved, always saved uh, idea really gloss over, you know, this idea of initial justification where a sinner becomes a saint that you could say that's you're saved in that sense. But then there's the eschatological, you know, entering the pearly gates. And it depends on the scripture and the context. And it's almost like uh, once saved, always saved, kind of wants to jump from initial justification and just fly over. You know, everything else the Bible says about the Christian life and good works and, and not sinning, and then just go to the eschatological at the end of time. Yeah, I like what Steve Ray says. He says that um, evangelicalism and Protestantism is cheap grace. <laughs> and uh, he's like, it's simple Christianity. And I am actually making a video on this. Simple Christianity is false Christianity. They've taken the whole gospel— and they've diluted it down to something so simple that it's not even the gospel anymore. They leave out everything that Christ says. So, you know, I always say, you know, when they talk about being saved, I said, you say you just have to believe. But that's not what Jesus says in context. And in fact, this is what I told that Protestant the other day. I said, have you ever heard of a synecdoche? And he's like, no. I said, it's a word, which means that if you mention one thing, you understand that it comes with a lot of other things as well. It's not just, so for example, if I want a hot dog at a restaurant and they come drop it on my plate, a frozen hot dog. And I say, what is this? I ordered a hot dog. And they say, that's a hot dog. A synecdoche means like 
when I order a hot dog, I understand that it's going to come with chips and a bun and it's cooked and many other things, everything that's supposed to be with the hot dog. It's not just that. So synecdoche is used for the word belief as well. It's not just an intellectual assent or I believe. It comes with everything else as well, which means being faithful to Christ, loving Christ, following his commandments, being obedient to him. These are all things that are part of the gospel that we need to do. And part of following those commandments is doing what Christ wants us to, including receiving the Eucharist, receiving baptism, being part of the church, which has an authority that he gave the apostles, and so many other things. So it's not just believe. The word believe is is more according to scripture than just like, okay, I believe, because even the devil believes, it says in James chapter two, but we need to do more than just believe. We need to love Christ and follow him. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the word belief or faith, it's, it's closer to faithfulness or fidelity than it is just merely like an intellectual assent. Right, exactly. And so this guy's like, oh, I never heard that before. But he's like, I think you're trying to change the Bible. He's like, we'll talk about this. I'm like, sure, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that would be a really good topic study for someone who believes in once saved, always saved is just look up the word faith and see how many different ways it's used. And, and you know, if it's just simply believing something and nothing else, then, you know, your belief is true. But if faith is used in a wider sense of, like you said, obedience and love and good works, then yeah, it's it's more of it's the hot dog with everything on it rather than just a frozen hot dog. I love that analogy. I'll have to use it. <laughs> but I think people don't understand Protestants and Catholics is how to properly interpret the Bible. Yeah. Um, so you don't just look down and you read a passage and that's it. Oh, look, it says you're saved. The proper way to read the Bible is to read the surrounding verses around that to see get to kind of get the context of it. But then you have to read the whole chapter because it's in a chapter. It's set in there for a reason. So you have to read the context of the whole chapter and it's set within a specific book that let's say Paul wrote. 1 John 5. 1 John 5:13, where it says, if you believe in the Son of God, you will be saved. That's in a, the whole book of John, and there's five chapters. So to get the whole context, you need to read the whole book and the chapter and the verses around it to get the whole context of what John was trying to say. Remember that there were no chapters and verses back in the day. Those were added to the Bible long after the Bible was written. It was one uh, smooth, uh, flowing writing from beginning to end. And if you read that whole writing from beginning to end, there are over 20 if-like statements in the book of John before he mentions that you're saved. So it says, if you love your brother, if you walk in the light and don't walk in darkness, if you walk in darkness, the truth and light is not in you. If you follow the commandments, if, 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 there's only over 20 if-like statements in John. And then at the very end of the book, it says, it, you know, if you believe, you'll be safe. So basically, if you follow all the ifs, and we do everything that we've commanded, yeah, then you can know you've, you're saved, but yeah, not right. before. And it's not just believing that you're saved. Um, just for example, uh, 1 John 2, 3 through 4 says, <clears throat> I write this to you because many are falling astray, and I urge you to repent and to stay faithful. Now, that's very interesting because he's talking about people falling away. And he says, I urge you to repent and stay faithful. Faithful. Why would he why would he urge them to do that if 
once you're saved, you're good. You don't ever have to repent from your sins anymore. And if you can't fall from grace, why would he keep saying persevere so you don't fall from grace? And that's when he goes into verses uh, three and four, where he says that he who says he knows God, but does not follow his commandments is a liar is not in him. So clearly John is saying here that if we know God and if we love God, we will follow his commandments. That's not just believing. And this corresponds context, you know, you can't just take one verse, but it corresponds to Matthew chapter 19 verses 12 through 17 where Jesus somebody specifically asks Jesus the question, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says just believe. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he says, you follow the commandments. And he said, what commandments? You know them. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, et cetera, et cetera. And the man says something very interesting. He's so proud of himself. He says, I've done all of this since my youth. You know, I followed all of these. He thinks he's good. And Jesus says, there is still one more thing that you need if you would like to find perfection. Go and sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And at that point, the man got really big eyes and a really dejected face. He thought about it for a minute and he just could not part with his idols. His money, his possessions became an idol. And Jesus knew that. So it's, it's not even enough to not have faith. It's not even enough to just follow the commandments. We also have to give up our idolatry and not put anything before God, which can take us away from God. And so this man walked away sad. He did believe in Jesus. And more than believe, he followed the commandments. But there is still something else that was interfering with his relationship with God and his salvation, which he was not willing to part with. So this is very powerful uh apologetics against, oh, just believe, or once saved, always saved, or just have faith. No, Jesus himself said, follow the commandments. And if Jesus himself says, follow the commandments, who are you going to say, oh, we don't have to follow the commandments? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and also, I, I don't know if it's in that or it's in a parallel passage, too, but some many times Protestants will say, well, you can't keep the commandments in a way that pleases God because uh, you have to be perfect like your Heavenly Father is perfect. And it says, you know, when he says, these I kept, uh, one of the, the parallels says, and Jesus loved him. You know, he didn't say, yeah, right, you didn't you didn't do this perfectly <laughs> or that, right? It's like, yeah, okay, that's, you know, I love you for doing that. And then, then he moves on and says, but if you wish to be perfect. So, yeah, great points all the way through. Very good. Yeah, your point is a good point, too. Very good point. Well made. Um, like, I'm not perfect with my wife. You know, and she doesn't kick me out because I'm not perfect. And I don't stop trying because I'm not perfect. You know, I don't stop trying to be faithful to her because I'm not perfect. I mean, that's fallacious reasoning. Yeah, in right. fact, I it's because I love her that I try my best to follow uh, the rules of marriage, so to speak. I don't beat her. I don't get drunk and curse her out and cheat on her and all of these other things. No, I try to do what I do because I love her. I'm not, it's not workspace salvation. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm doing everything by the grace of God and out of love for him as he commands me to. I mean, that is love, is being faithful to him. I mean, what does Jesus say? If you love me, follow my commandments. So it's not, we're not trying to work our way to heaven. It's just part of love and faith, which is obedience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that point about the conditional statements in John, you know, because over and over in first John, especially is filled with conditional statements. 
And, uh, you know, often when, whenever I bring that up, I always ask the person, what's implied if you don't do it? You know, uh, you know, if you come to Jesus, he'll be faithful and just and forgive your sins. What happened if you don't, you know, <laughs> then he's faithful and just, and he won't forgive your sins. It's often, you know, they, they blip over that and they just look at the positive one as if, you know, that's always the case. But then how is a conditional statement a conditional statement? Right. And again, this is different for all Protestants, but some say, well, I don't need to follow the commandments. I don't need to be faithful. I don't need to do all that stuff. I'm saved. My books, my name is written down in the book of heaven. I am going straight to heaven. I'm in the book of the Lamb of God. And uh, so I always talk about, well, you might want to read, um, I think it's Revelation 3. I want to read it for you just because so I get it perfectly. But um, it says, remember, therefore, how you receive what you have received and heard. Therefore, hold fast and repent and watch. And he goes on to say that he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess him before my father. Now, that's powerful because that means like your name can be blotted out of the book of life. And if you read the whole passage in context, it talks about how some churches were not faithful and Christ was going to wipe them out if they did not repent. That's why he said here too, hold fast and repent. Not that they weren't believers, they were, but he's telling them to hold fast to the faith so that their names are not blotted out of the book of life. So you are not saved. You are not safe in heaven. You're not safe until you are automatically there on the last day and you are faithful to Christ and not before that, because the Bible says you can clearly lose your salvation. Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Yeah, especially with the being written in the Lamb's book of life, uh, you know, the whole thing that your name could be blotted out. And, you know, <laughs> what do you make of that as well? Especially if you're a Calvinist, too. Not just the once saved, always saved, but uh, with that as well. But I'm, I'm going far afield. Uh, I hear the music coming up, and uh, we're chatting with Brian Mercier of Catholic Truth Channel on YouTube, talking about once saved, always saved. More to come right after this. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Brian Mercier, talking about once saved, always saved. And probably for those who are just joining us, it's important to realize that not all Protestants hold on to once saved, always saved. And even those who do, there's a wide variety of versions of once saved, always saved. I, I guess you could say variants since we live in the COVID era. You know, There's all sorts of different variants of it. But nevertheless, yeah, we're so we're addressing uh, the kind of uh, once saved, always saved. I guess, Brian, you ever hear the old song "Spirit in the Sky"? Yeah, it's actually a good song. Yeah, it is, and there's this part in there. He says, "I've never been a sinner, never sinned." Yeah, you know, so it's kind of that version of "Once Saved, Always Saved." Yeah. No, it's a great song. It's just bad theology. <laughs> uh, and I've had people say that. I don't sin. I'm not a sinner. You know, I'm like, yeah, you are. I'm like, Christ has made me righteous. And I'm like, no, you're not righteous yet. You know, he's forgiven you your sins, but you're not perfectly righteous. I mean, do you struggle with lust? Do you struggle with anger? Do you struggle with gossip? Do you struggle, you know, with pride? I mean, these are sins. These are evils. And it's 
unfortunately, we have Martin Luther to blame, you know, Mr. Dunghill, who said that, you know, even though I'm unrighteous, Christ covers me with his righteousness. And even though I'm a dunghill, he still calls me righteous. And of course, God's lying to you. He's saying you're righteous, but you're not. But the Catholic belief is that he actually makes us righteous. He forgives our sins over and over. He purifies us. He gives us his divine life within us. It purifies us from sin, helps us to overcome it. And slowly, ever so slowly, we become more perfect until uh, we reach the end of our life where God finally perfects us in the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, if you missed the first couple of segments, you missed a lot because Brian's gone over lots of verses and lots of really good arguments that speak against once saved, always saved. So uh, is there any other place you'd like to go before uh, we talk a little bit about your channel? Sure, yeah. I mean, there's just so many verses I think that people should be aware of. Um, I mean, it reminds me of the T-shirt that I was mentioning. You know, I'm righteous even if I get drunk, even if I sleep around, even if I commit adultery, like it actually says these things. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, not all Protestants would believe this, of course, a lot would not. But the fact that is that that's what Protestantism is. It's, you know, make your own buffet meal, pick and choose what you want to believe. One Corinthians six, I believe it's nine through 10 says that, uh, the unrighteous will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are the unrighteous? It, it says that fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, those who covet, those who are drunkards, those who revile and have like a party spirit. I mean, these are all people considered unrighteous. So if you're doing these things and still think you're righteous and are going to be saved, you're not. Because the reality is you're not living for Christ. You don't have the spirit of Christ because the Holy Spirit would not do these things. He's not the author of these things. We know who the author of these things are. So, I mean, I even have Protestants come to my Bible study and admit that Protestants are way too lax on sin. You know, they think they get a free pass too easy and they don't really strive to overcome sin. And I've even had so many Protestants recently saying that striving to overcome sin in your life is works-based salvation. You don't have to overcome sin. And I just smack my forehead. I like, how do you talk to people who aren't reasonable and ha don't understand the Bible in a deeper way? Because the Bible all over, Galatians chapter 5, Revelation chapter 21, talk about all of the people that if we are not faithful to God's commandments, we are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And even Galatians 5, 17 through 22 talks about the war between the spirit and the flesh. And it says the works of the flesh are evident. And again, it goes through adultery and uh, gossip and all of these things that we struggle with. So these are the things we continually need Christ to save us from every single day. Uh, some of my favorite verses, though, uh, besides uh, the faith alone verses, uh, because people say, you know, oh, it's just faith alone, you go to heaven. It's just faith alone and you go to heaven. And yet, if you read the Bible in Revelation uh, chapter 20, for example, it says that at the end, it's talking about Judgment Day. It says that the book of life was opened and I saw the people there. I'm sorry, it says the book of judgments were opened and I saw the people and they were all adjudged according to their works. Judged according to their works. Not by their faith. It says their works. And there are many passages, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Matthew 25.31-46. to There are many passages that say we are judged by their works. And in fact, Matthew 25.41-46 to says that it, you're going to hell. Jesus says, depart from me, you accursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? 
because I was sick and you did not help me. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. I was in prison. So he goes down all of these things and basically says, you did not do what I commanded you to do. So you're going to hell. These are very blatant verses that we really disprove not only faith alone, that, but that you're once saved, always saved, because we need to persevere in good works. We need to persevere in obedience, and we need to persevere in following Christ and loving him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, every judgment scene, every final judgment scene in the New Testament and old, it's always on the basis of works. It's never on the basis of, did you accept me as your Savior? Exactly. And, you know, sometimes people bring up to me, they say, well, we're all sinners. Are we all doomed? I say, no, you know, we are on the train to heaven. Some people say, you know, I'm saved. I'm saved. I said, I believe that I'm on the train to heaven too, but I can step off any time. There have been televangelists who were very sincere people. They got saved when they were younger. They preached for 30 years and fell into an adulterous relationship, and they ended up falling away from the faith. Now, some of them repent of that, and they get on their knees, and you see them crying on TV, and they apologize, and they, they make that right. But then there are other ones who fall away forever, and they never actually come back and repent. So they have fallen away from Christ. Now, depending on the Protestant— you talk to the flavor, some will say he's still saved. He'll still go to heaven. Others will say, no, he, he was never saved to begin with. He never had real faith. <laughs> so they have to make up all these excuses about why people fall away. But the reality is, listen to what Paul says. Paul didn't even know he was saved. Of all people you think would be saved, it would be St. Paul. But he says this, in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5, he says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or even any human court. I do not even judge myself. I do not know anything against myself, but yet I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light things that are hidden and reveal counsels of the heart. And he also says this, this is powerful, Philippians 3, 11 through 13, he says, I pray that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and his sufferings and be conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain, may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained it or am already perfect, but I press on and I lay hold of those things of Jesus Christ. And I do not count myself uh, apprehended, uh, forgetting those things are which behind, pressing forward, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he's always talking about how he doesn't know he's actually saved and he's persevering and he beats himself so that after preaching to others, he is not disqualified. I mean, I don't know how people can read these passages and still think that Paul thought he was once saved, always saved. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and like you said, if there's anybody in the New Testament that a Protestant would say knew the way of salvation and was saved, it had to be St. Paul, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, what do you do with that? Uh, that's that's a difficult passage to handle. Yeah, three or four different difficult passages to handle. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. Uh, I all are. just go by what the Bible says. Yeah. Right. I'm a Bible Christian. I go by what the Bible says, not what I want it to say. <laughs> yes, we have unfortunately. All these yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I just had a side thought that you know that's what Protestant Protestantism started out 
like Catholic, but it's devolved and it keeps devolving into more and more simplistic Christianity where I really just don't have to do anything. I make up the rules and it's really just my interpretation of what the Bible means and of what salvation means. That's why people say, well, if you read the Bible, then you'll know. I say, I read the Bible every day. They're like, well, read it deeper. I'm like, well, other Protestants disagree with you. Or they, did they not read the Bible either? And so it's just this, I'm right, everyone else is wrong attitude. I alone read the Bible correctly. And, you know, I guess the, the father of Protestantism, Martin Luther, had that exactly. I mean, he alone read the Bible, which he thought was correct, and nobody could tell him this way or the next. Calvin disagreed with him on some things. Zwingli disagreed with both of them. And by the time they died, they had over 200 new religions, all thinking they're correct. And now we have tens of thousands of Protestant religions, all thinking they're correct, and still having that, I don't know how to say it, prideful authority problem where I know best and nobody else knows and nobody can tell me anything. It's really sad state of affairs recently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great stuff, Brian. You know, I want to stop right here because I want to talk about all the great works that you're doing on the Catholic Truth Channel on YouTube, uh, which I was very fortunate. I, I don't know, maybe that was a lapse in good taste on your part, but I was a guest on, on your channel. But yeah, tell us a little bit what's cooking on your channel. Yeah, I was happy to have you on my channel and your video is starting to perform pretty well. It's, you know, climbing up in the rankings, which is great. Um, nice. But yeah, we're so excited for 2022. We're doing hardcore apologetics, defense of the Trinity, proving the divinity of Christ. We're going to have tons of um, <clears throat> videos on Islam, questions to ask Mormons, questions to ask Jehovah's Witnesses, and even spiritual topics like how to listen to God. How do you know when God's speaking to you? What does that sound like? How to discern God's will? We're also going to be uh, debunking a lot of uh, videos like uh, Pastor Steve, who's super anti-Catholic, this street, uh, Cleveland street preacher, Mike Winger, a lot of like super anti-Catholics we're going to be debunking. And in fact, I just did a video on the 10 reasons the Catholic Church is satanic. Uh, Ex-Catholic made that video, so we're debunking <laughs> that. We're going to be posting that soon. So we're super excited to have all of this, along with interviewing Scott Hahn, Steve Ray, and other big names as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. And so, uh, you know, the new year looks awesome for your channel, uh, diving down into some pretty deep subjects and also spirituality, which, of course, you know, your book on uh, counterfeit spirituality uh, fits right in. I mean, uh, are you going to do anything along those lines as well? Absolutely. We've already done a lot of videos on the new age with like Reiki and centering prayer and yoga and different things like that. But we're going to make a lot more because there's so many new age topics that people have questions on and people struggle with like acupuncture or Zen or labyrinth. So the Enneagram and things like that. So we try to cover all of these things or even <laughs> new age gurus like Father Richard Rohr or Father Thomas Keating or Father Basil Pennington, different people like that. People who call themselves Catholic priests, but are very confused in teaching false Catholic. Catholic uh, doctrines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So where can they get the book and where can they go to uh, access your videos? Uh, you can go to the Catholic Truth YouTube. That is our YouTube. We also have a Catholic Truth podcast, which is growing rapidly as well. Or you could go to our website to buy the book at thecatholictruth.org. Uh, or you can go to our Sunday visitor itself. All right. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. God bless. All right. Yes. And uh, as always, you know, the hour flew. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for listening. God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. Do this thing we call hands-on apologetics. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a great day.